Today, I begin with what can be a sensitive subject for some. Then, I share a quote from a 2002 Department of Defense briefing. Now, stay with me. It's short and very familiar. Then, I tell you a joke about prayer. Okay, it's not a very funny joke, but boy, did it get a reaction. And I get you thinking about whether or not you can land a plane, you know, in an emergency, all on the way to answering the question, what is the Dunning-Kruger effect? Welcome to the Sky Pilot Podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. Yeah, I should probably start with one of those, what are they, trigger alerts for those who are going to find this disturbing. I'm going to begin by talking about a basic assumption that I have, and that is that people who have a doctoral degree and have spent their career studying infectious diseases know more. Okay, I think they know far more about infectious diseases and how they work than, say, people who don't have the same experience, don't have the same degree, don't have the same work history, but recently read an article on the Internet an article that was itself written by, you know, someone else who has, well, absolutely no formal training in infectious diseases. That person, having read said article, feels qualified to opine on how foolish the scholarly world is on the subject of infectious diseases. This is all hypothetical. This stuff never really happens. Anyway, if what I just said makes you uncomfortable, well, this whole darn podcast might make you feel very uncomfortable. No, the whole podcast is not about infectious diseases because, well, I have no training in that, so I'm not going to opine on that subject. Matter of fact, that's why I tend to trust those who actually do have training. That's why I don't see value in doing your own research instead of listening to the experts. But this podcast instead is going to talk about what we know, what we don't know, and some of the problems with our assumptions around both of those. Let me start by playing you an audio clip that you may remember. Reports that say there's, that, that, that something hasn't happened are always interesting to me because, as we know, there are known knowns. There are things we know we know. We also know there are known unknowns. That is to say, we know there are some things we do not know. But there are also unknown unknowns. The ones we don't know, we don't know. All right. If you don't recognize that voice, that's Donald Rumsfeld, and he may be remembered for this quote more than any other single thing he said in his entire political career. Strangely, this is a bit of wisdom espoused by Donald Rumsfeld that is succinct and true and also cited as a moment of his greatest folly. But why? Well, there is a psychoanalytic philosopher whose name is Slavoj Žižek. I love that name. I like saying that name. I like reading that name. It feels like a name I would have made up when I was five years old. It's just plain fun to say. And I know you want to. Look, it'll make you feel better. I promise. It's just fun. Go ahead. Go ahead. See? Didn't it make you feel better? Slavoj Žižek. Slavoj Žižek. <laughs> okay, moving on. And he says that beyond these three categories that Donald Rumsfeld says exist, and he's absolutely right, they do. There is a fourth, and he says it is the unknown known, that which one intentionally refuses to acknowledge, but that one knows. He says, talking about that particular moment in time, if Rumsfeld thinks that the main dangers 
in the confrontation with Iraq, which is what he was talking about in this press conference, if he thinks the main dangers in the confrontation with Iraq were the unknown unknowns, that is the threats from Saddam Hussein, whose nature we cannot even suspect, then the Abu Ghraib scandal shows that the main dangers lie in the unknown knowns. Those are something that Donald Rumsfeld never mentioned in his list, the unknown knowns. The disavowed beliefs, suspicions, and obscene practices we pretend not to know about, even though they are there. And we know they're there, but we deny their existence. Dan, I'm I'm so curious at this point. Does this have anything to do with faith or spirituality? I'm asking for a friend, you know? Okay, so admittedly, I jumped into the middle of this one. So let me backtrack and tell you a story to launch us perhaps a little more gently into the subject, and maybe a little more clearly. My daughter was recently a part of a conversation in which a colleague made a flippant and joking remark about a difficult problem that was facing them. The colleague said, with several people standing around, I think the only thing that could possibly help us in this moment is prayer. It was a joke, not a theological statement. So he laughed. Another colleague who overheard the comment asked him, Did you just make a joke about prayer? And he said, yeah, I did. Now, he was suddenly on the receiving end of a reprimand about how prayer is not, never is, never will be a laughing matter. Realizing he had offended his colleague, he said, I'm I'm really sorry. I was making a joke, and I truly didn't mean any offense. The colleague, who was obviously deeply offended, said, oh, I don't get offended. But you know who does? God. Okay, maybe the person's voice didn't change like that. Maybe it just was adding a little editorial flourish. So this is a story that was relayed to me from somebody else, and I'm relaying it to you. So basically, I'm not telling you that this is exactly verbatim what happened in this moment. And I'm not really interested in using it in that way, because I can't. I wasn't there. But let's instead take this story as an opportunity to learn something. Let's think of it as a kind of parable, an opportunity to learn. There was, in my opinion, a mistake made, and I want to talk about it and what it means here. So was the mistake made when the fellow talking to a co-worker made a flippant joke about prayer? Mm, maybe a small one. This is one of those, you were saying this within a community that has a fairly high self-identification as being religious, and you are in a relatively small town in the South, is another way of saying that. Okay, he didn't really consider the context before he made the offhand joke, but it was, after all, a joke and not targeted at hurting anyone. So perhaps the mistake, maybe instead, was made by the person who got offended. She said she didn't get offended, but it's pretty clear that she got offended. Maybe here, taking the offense was the mistake. Well, no. She gets to feel however she wants to feel, and voicing her discomfort was perfectly right in that moment. Maybe she could have done it better, but it was okay. But that's not where my attention lands when I first heard this story. So where was the mistake, as far as I'm concerned? Her statement about knowing that God was offended. Okay, so this is really an interesting conversation, and I would love to have had this story to tell to a high school Sunday school class, or even an adult class, And let them chew on this because there's a lot to talk about and think about in this story. Whether or not God was offended would be one of the places you could start. 
But in my opinion, where she was wrong was in voicing her certainty that though she isn't bothered by the moment, she seems to be able to state with absolute conviction and knowledge that absolutely, God is offended. Which, first of all, to me is doubly strange. If you are absolutely certain that God would be offended by something, that God is offended by something, like someone calling someone else by a racial slur, if you are certain that God's offended by that, shouldn't you be offended too? But even then, I don't know how God feels in that moment. Does it make God sad when somebody uses a racial slur? Does God get disappointed? Does God get angry? Does God feel offended? I can't really say if it's any of those, all of those for sure, or maybe something else entirely. I really can't speak definitively about the mind of God and what God feels in any particular moment. Now, let me tell you about something called the Dunning-Kruger effect. So there's a common theme to all of this that I've been talking about. Within the world of psychology, there's a thing called the Dunning-Kruger effect. This is when a person's lack of knowledge, experience, or skills causes them to overestimate their own competence in an area. This is borne out by a study that's been in the news a lot recently. A survey was done of people who have no experience whatsoever flying an airplane. When asked if in an emergency on a commercial flight and something happened to the pilot and co-pilot, could they step in and successfully land the plane? As I recall, somewhere in the ballpark of about 30 to 40 percent of the people responded, yes, yes, I could successfully land that plane. Not surprisingly, I think men responded more confidently. I think 50% of men said they could. Men responded more confidently than women. But a surprisingly large percentage of both groups, men and women, said, yes, I believe I could do this. Well, another study was done, I think as a follow-up to that one, with people who were put into this exact scenario in real life. Okay, they didn't use a real airplane. They used a flight simulator. In this particular case... There were different groups, not just inexperienced people. So some people had experience. They'd taken a few lessons. Some people had more experience. They had their private single-engine pilot's license. Some had no experience ever in the cockpit of an airplane. Not one of the people with no experience were successful in landing the plane. And interestingly, most of them crashed the plane long before they even approached the runway. The moment they tried to take over the controls, something went wrong, and the people with some knowledge were far more doubtful about their capability of being successful than those who had no knowledge whatsoever. Now, the Dunning-Kruger effect says people with little knowledge, experience, or skill tend to way overestimate their abilities. They tend to be way overconfident. Interestingly, according to Dunning-Kruger, as knowledge, experience, and skills increase, people then begin to underestimate their level of experience, which is borne out by this recent experiment with the landing simulator. The people who had their private pilot's license were very likely to doubt their ability to succeed landing a big old jumbo jet Whereas the people with no experience whatsoever were very likely to think, yeah, we can absolutely do this. And according to Dunning-Kruger, there is a third group, people who are very, very high in knowledge and experience. In this case, imagine someone who's flown several types of commercial aircraft. 
this person just is never certified to fly this particular model of aircraft. They tend to have a great deal of confidence. And interestingly, just as an aside, this third group tends to fairly evaluate their own ability, but they overestimate the ability of others to quickly learn, understand, and master what they have become accomplished in. And this kind of bears out in our COVID experience, doesn't it? We had a lot of people who had no knowledge and experience voicing their confidence that they had figured out what was really going on, despite it being contradicted by the experts. We also had experts who overestimated the general public's ability to understand, so they often said things in a way that thoroughly confused people like, well, me. I was ready to trust them, but they were at times assuming that we had the ability to sift through complicated data without their making an effort to simplify and synthesize. Um, again, any spiritual content here? Any at all? Okay, fair question. So what does this have to do with faith and spirituality? Well, the world is filled with people who really don't know much about God, faith, scriptures at all, yet who make bold statements about what the world should be believing, or even more bold statements when they speak with certainty about how God feels about something. Now, I would place myself smack dab in the middle group of this kind of curve that I've been talking about of the three groups. I have beliefs, but I'm not certain of my own ability to make absolute pronouncements. And the truth is that I think in the realm of humanity, when talking about God as the subject, I think we are mostly all, if not entirely divided between the first two groups. Those groups are those who don't know much about what they're talking about, but they talk a lot, and those who know some but feel they don't know much at all and are hesitant to make any strong statements. As I have said, the Dunning-Kruger effect divides people into three groups, those who have not much real knowledge but are filled with unwarranted confidence in their knowledge and ability. Those who have developed some knowledge and learning and who have a large dose of humility when saying anything about the subject, in this case, God. And the third group, people who have true mastery, knowledge, and skill. Yeah, I don't think any of us achieve that level of understanding in this lifetime. That may be a place held alone by the angels and the saints who have passed into the next life. So, in the Dunning-Kruger effect, people who have their PhDs fit into the third group. People who have spent their entire life studying how to fly an airplane, they may fit into the third group. But I'm not sure in the world of theology that we actually have people in that third group who have true mastery and knowledge of the subject of what God feels and God believes. Okay, so where does this leave us? Well, the lesson for me is twofold. And let me talk about the first learning, discovery, aha moment as I was reading the Dunning-Kruger effect. When it comes to God and your understanding of what God believes, what God feels, what God demands, what God expects, when your understanding of what God expects of everyone else is total, absolute, unwavering, and your convictions are held with absolute clarity— when you believe that the whole rest of the world or most of the rest of the world other than you and a small group are absolutely wrong, the Dunning-Kruger effect kind of says to me, you might want to look at what group you're in because you're probably in that first group way overestimating your knowledge, ability, and wisdom. And my other learning 
is that sitting in your basement, so to speak, on your computer doing your own research almost always leads to faulty conclusions. That's why good science does its work in the light of day and in peer-reviewed communities. I think good spiritual exploration and conversation is kind of the same way. If you have ideas about who God is, that's wonderful. But those ideas are only given true value if they're allowed to be shared, discussed, and even debated to some extent within some sort of spiritual community. So what does that mean? That spiritual communities always get things right? Heavens, no, they don't. But I have come to believe that the arc of the community of faith is generally in the right direction. Not always in the short term, but generally over a long period of time, it's in the right direction. There was a time when women were excluded from leadership, and we have changed that. There was a time when people different from ourselves were enslaved, and it was justified by Scripture, and we've changed that now too. It seems to me that in general, the arc of the church, the arc of the community of faith, eventually tends to get things right. It may take us a while. There are some we're still working on, But generally, over time, if we keep discerning, we stay in community, we keep talking to each other, it is my belief that we will eventually get all of these things right. Now, here's an interesting, fun piece of information. The people who tried to land the jet simulator, all of those who succeeded, did one thing before anything else. They put on the headset and tried to communicate with someone else. They sought the help and expertise of others before doing anything, before even making their first move. I think that's true in the world of our faith journey. Want to try to navigate this incredibly complicated thing we call life as you also try to discern God's will? Then I strongly recommend you immerse yourself in some sort of faith community along your journey. That's all for today. If you have a question for me or a response to this podcast, then send me an email. I'd love to hear from you. My email is dan at skypilot.zone, S-K-Y-P-I-L-O-T dot zone. That's dan at skypilot.zone. And on your spiritual journey, may you ask questions, seek answers, and boldly go wherever the quest takes you. Thanks for listening to SkyPilot Faith Quest. I invite you to send me a question or leave a review. And remember, the sign of a strong faith, solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, but that you keep asking questions.